Travellers and welcome to podcast 86 in our series You Should Have Been There with me Simon Calder and me Mick Webb. Today we're carrying on where we left off last week with contributions from our legions of listeners on the subject of holiday scams and stings and confidence tricks. There's also more to be said on the subject of travelling in the footsteps, but in this case the hoof prints of the Beatles. But first, let me try and guess whereabouts in the world you are joining us from. Uh, I think you're having a cup of tea as usual. Uh, I, I certainly am, but in very, very splendid circumstances. This is the Wester Pavilion, a great grand cafe on a busy street corner in Rotterdam. I'm sitting outside watching the city come to life, a Dutch second city, but uh, one which, if you subtracted Amsterdam from the Netherlands, people would be coming here and saying this is the most amazing place. And I'm lucky enough just to have had a visit to the most amazing new place in this generally amazing place, the depot. So congratulations on this. What am I going to experience when I come here? I'm used to going to great Dutch art museums and seeing everything hanging on the wall. It's not going to be like that. No, here you can actually um, see what it's like to uh, take care of art, to preserve art, to restorate art. But you can also see what it means to uh, collect public collecting. But you can also see the collections of private collectors. So you can also see the difference between private and public collecting. So it's all about collecting and taking care of art, conservation art. This is the first time I have seen how the depot works in terms of uh, Rotterdam, which I think is a very exciting city. And it looks, I think, like a a spaceship has come down, (laughs) perhaps in the middle of the, the city. Is it for art lovers or for everyone else? No, it's for everybody. No, for everybody. We also wanted to have different stories from art because for a lot of people it's really... Um, the, the threshold to a museum is re- really high and they think they have to have a lot of knowledge to look at art or, or to enjoy it. And we think, well, there's a lot more uh, stories to tell about art. It's, in this building it's more about the object, not so much about the art or the big idea, but the object itself, taking care of the object, what's the material, the color, so it's a completely new world of stories that we can actually share with everybody. Really low threshold. Ina Klassen of the Depot in Rotterdam. Ah, oh, well, that sounds really good fun. I have only one recollection of going to Rotterdam, uh, and I suppose it could be connected up with the old holiday stings and scams because um, I lost some money um, playing with my friend what? Graham against a couple of Dutch blokes in a bar. We went into this bar for a beer and were surprised to see a dartboard there and a very serviceable set of darts. So we started playing and then two chaps came up and um, and said, can we play with you? And uh, we said, yes, OK. And uh, and a small amount of money. Well, I think perhaps the next round of beer was, uh, was gambled on the result. Uh, and they absolutely thrashed us. And I had absolutely no idea until then that the uh, the Dutch were uh, great darts players. I thought it was something only the <laughs> only the Brits were good at. Well, that 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 is uh, surprising. But you should never ever get into anything which involves money and bars and skills in any part of the world. I think that's probably a, a reasonable plan to live your travelling life on. It's uh, yes, I, I don't think I would ever 
get into that sort of thing. But uh, the range of bars, I'm just looking down the street from this from this corner. There must be a dozen bars within 100 metres. Some of them, I suspect, are not exactly bars. They're more coffee shops, but they're not selling the sort of coffee that you would uh, get in this splendid Grand Café. Well, while you've been having fun and taking tests and filling in forms, I've been keeping abreast of the news this week, although actually I think monitoring the news sounds rather more professional. Um, and I was very pleased to see that a European football team called FC Sheriff pulled off a great giant killing yeah. act, a travel mugging indeed, given the subject of our programme, by beating mighty Real Madrid. Well, I looked into this and FC Sheriff are from a place called Tiraspol or Tiraspol in Moldova. But it's much more complicated than that because Tiraspol is actually the capital of the virtual or breakaway country called Transnistria. Have, have you ever been there and do you know anything about it? I have been there not once, but twice. Uh, first of all, in 1991, Mick, so 30 oh, years ago, almost to the day, travelling through the wreckage of the Soviet Union in a time when actually it was very easy. And you could go, for instance, from uh, Russia to Estonia to Latvia to Moldova um, to Ukraine without a single passport check, because, of course, they were still nominally part of the same great enterprise. And... The train I was on stopped for a very, very long time, partly because there were separatists who were trying to... Uh, there was a bit of a skirmish going on. And I went back there a couple of years ago to find that the skirmish had um, resulted in this bizarre geopolitical entity called Transnistria. And it's maybe the size of a small English county. And yet it has all the hallmarks of the Soviet Union. I say that advisedly, not Russia, but the Soviet Union, the most Soviet place you can go to, I think, uh, anywhere uh, in the world. And I've um, checked quite a lot of places. It's it, it was so interesting getting there. Moldova is very easy to go in. You can fly there from Luton um, in normal times, and that's, uh, that's lovely. Or you can come in from the great city of Odessa on the Black Sea coast of Ukraine. But there is a special oh. checkpoint. And before you go into uh, Transnistria, you have to hand over passports. I think a small number of Romanian lay. I believe that Transnistria has it. Sorry, in Moldovan lay, they are quite similar. And I think Transnistria has its own uh, currency. It also has its own stamps, which will work only within Transnistria or indeed going to Russia. Yeah, I, I, I had a look at some of the things you could see, uh, and there was a. They mostly seem to be things like the um, uh, the Gagarin um, Museum, the MiG fifteen yeah. Museum. Yes. Is that the right plane? And and various um, and and uh, things to do with um, military conquest, but not not very much else really. No, I, I just love everything about Malta. It claims to have a two hundred meter. Uh, stretch of seafront on the Black Sea, which if you look at any map, you'll see, well, it doesn't clearly, but there's a river that runs through it and emerges, it eventually empties into the uh, Black Sea, and they've kind of moved the boundary of the sea upstream. It sounds a bit to me, without being too uh, uh, patronising, like um, Passport to Pimlico, if you've ever seen that, uh, that Ealing comedy. Uh, it, it almost certainly is, yes. But of course, being a fairly relaxed southeastern backwater um, of, of Europe, it's also uh, very good fun and you can eat and drink extremely well. And they've even got 
perfectly nice um, budget hotels, which are entirely comfortable and sort of working internet. Although um, who is who is observing your internet activity remains to be seen. But if you ever wanted a place that was back in the USSR, that is most definitely it. Find your way to Transnistria when the opportunity permits. And have I just done a Radio 2 style link? Mick, I think I may have done. Um, because I think, last... you, I think you have. And can I just play my sound effect again just to kind of back it up? Okay, enough of that. That, that is absolute pure BBC drama studio sound effects um they they were they coconut shells they certainly very, did sound very like... very very good yes they're two coconut shells which i have um sort of randomly here because um i uh, uh i bought some uh coconut shells filled with um horrible fat of some kind to feed the birds in the garden with and, and now you, you have them um, uh, for sound effects. And indeed, uh, I'm not sure if it's still there, but in the olden days in Broadcasting House, there was a big uh, warehouse full of all kinds of devices for making uh, sound effects yeah. during radio dramas. Um, but that was very exciting. And the reason that you've done that is because uh, back in the USSR, of course, one of the great uh, uh, songs of the Beatles... You might recall a couple of weeks ago we were talking about travel with the Beatles and after that Deirdre Swan got in touch from Rye in East Sussex and said, I think I might have a story that would interest you. So I headed along to a busy evening at the King's Head pub and this is what she told me. Well, um, it was an ordinary Sunday afternoon, I thought, and uh, going for a walk with my friend and our dogs. Tell us where you are. Where... Peace Marsh. Um, it's on a public footpath. I do it regularly. I've often seen Paul McCartney on his horse, but in the distance, and have only waved at him. I've never wanted to bother him. So, sorry, a lot of people will be having problems with this. I've often seen Paul McCartney on his horse. What does he do? I mean, does he own large swathes of East Sussex? He does, yes, basically. And he often, on a slight afternoon, just takes the horse out, give it exercise, and you'll see him wandering around the fields just give him a wave and he'll wave back right and whose fields are these these are paul mccartney's fields but you're allowed to walk across them yeah only on the public footpaths i don't want to trespass so i'd only go on the public footpaths but they go across his his land tell us about your um uh, your your encounter with with the great man okay well um coming down a hill to a five bar gate um there was this chap on um, a horse i knew who it was immediately and i said to my friend oh this is paul mccartney and she said oh my gosh this is so exciting and i said well yes but let's let's play it cool he won't you know overwhelm him um anyway we started talking about his horse which was an appaloosa which is the most beautiful horse uh, which is an american breed um it's black and white um she's good size he wears he rides on an american saddle doesn't wear a helmet he has a cowboy hat um, he was wearing a jacket. What's the horse called? An Appaloosa. No, but what's its actual name? Oh, do you know what? I can't remember. I can't remember, remember the name. In a, in a way, it was a little... Michelle. <laughs> Mabel. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know the horse's name, but uh, but it was beautiful, and we got ch- chatting to him and um, you know just asking him about the horse and how many times he goes riding and he he was said he was staying with his daughter who I think now lives at his farm and uh, we we said can we open the gate for you and he said oh that's really kind of you so we opened the gate and we closed the gate. And as I was walking away, I thought I should have said to him that it was my birthday today. I was 64 and he's written the song when I'm 64 and I didn't. (laughs) That's supposed to be Sir Paul McCartney um, disappearing into the distance um, and uh, great stuff from from Deirdre. Uh, But you didn't manage to get the horse's name did you i i wonder what it, i wonder what it was called i was hoping it would be dear prudence but no i did make some <laughs> inquiries and it, it actually turns out to be cheyenne uh, named after the city in wyoming and i guess also shy and the ah shy and you see that yes yeah, shy and as a as a what you mean as a timid woman uh shy Anne. well i don't think there are any horses in the beatles oeuvre although i could well be wrong so maybe shy Anne is um, is the nearest we're going to get to it uh, uh, in terms uh, of I, forms of transport i'm struggling to get much further than the, a, a yellow submarine well i was just reflecting on when i'm 64 and um sadly coming to the conclusion that uh uh, the version that you and I would have to sing, God forbid, is when I was or when we were 64. <laughs> but anyway, on to holiday scams and stings. This subject, which we discussed last week, brought a lively response. Whatever the digital equivalent is of a bulging postbag, a, I don't know, a groaning inbox perhaps. But anyway, not the digital nomad got in touch to say, you didn't mention the scam in your photo during your podcast. It's one that's rife all over Paris, not to mention the sign our petition one. Paris seems to be the centre of all scams. Didn't see anything like that anywhere else. I agree that Paris has a large number of scams. Yes, we did, I think, briefly refer to the the cup and ball trick. This is where you have got three cups and there's a, a little ball and the idea is that they shuffle them around and you have to work out which one is uh, that the, the ball is under. It's a bit like the three-card trick when you've got to say which one is the queen or whatever card is the, uh, the outstanding one. Uh, the idea is that, that they will... Um, do pretty much the same thing. There's a group of people. One of them is clearly winning a lot of money. You are following the action. You can see, hang on, yeah, I can do this. Um, They've just won another 20 euros. Uh, Goodness, um, I'd like to join in because I know that I can beat the, uh, the dealer here. And so you do join in. They take 20 euros off you. They might let you win once, Mick, but then certainly they're not going to let let you uh, leave until they've pretty much emptied your wallet. And of course, you will just lose because they are uh, tricksters in every in every sense. Luke C followed up the Digital Nomads um, uh, comment by saying that uh, he had seen the scam in our photo uh, elsewhere. He says, good point. Sadly, a lot of people are very trusting, so are quite easily misled. Saw the three-cup trick in Spain last week, and people are still engaging with this con trick. So it's not just Paris. Yeah, and and being misled, I'm not sure that I would agree that that is the the correct 
uh, description. I mean, it is it is very simply as has been happening for millennia. It's it's playing on on human greed because you think, well, here I am in Madrid, in Paris, or whatever. I have, can see in front of me the opportunity to win uh, 50 euros when I'll be able to go out for a slap up meal. Thank you. So I'm going to join in, and it's it's as basic as that. I say. Well, fair enough. Now, this is a rather more serious um, uh, scam. In fact, I don't really know quite how it worked, but Dan McCauley um, got in touch to say, my wife was nearly kidnapped in Turkey by a guy doing the camel ride scam. Uh, Have you any idea what that might be? Well, the only thing I can imagine is that uh, you uh, are in some part of Turkey and uh, I've not seen anything like this happening in the uh, resort areas. But there's a guy saying, come and ride my camel. Uh, um, it's uh, you know, perfectly tame and I'll take you for a, for a ride. And then you do that. You have quite possibly not done the obvious thing, which is say, well, my good man, um, it's uh, your, your camel looks uh, a, a great member of the animal kingdom. And it sounds a fantastic proposition. Just remind me how many Turkish lira this is going to cost me. Uh, and I, I suspect that this might not have happened or at least not explicitly enough. And so when you get back, the uh, if, if there's a couple, then maybe uh, one of them is allowed to dismount and the other one is kept there while financial negotiations take place. So a very worrying situation to be in if one uh, half of a couple has uh, descended and the other one is still there. The, the um, uh, I guess the balance of power resides with the owner of the camel at that stage. Well, it's quite hard to get off a camel if the uh, camel and the owner don't want you to. So I can I can see it being a sort of hostage situation, possibly. But uh, Dan, do get in touch um, with us and uh, clarify it if you'd like to. Much, much more widespread, I would say, than the camel ride scam is the timeshare sales trick. And, and Mark W. writes in, say, 20 years ago in Portugal, young and naive, handed a free scratch card that won. Amazing. Bundled into a van to pick up our prize, taken to a timeshare presentation and given the hard sell. They wouldn't let us leave. When we kept saying we weren't interested, they brought the big guns out. The boss, who was the most angry and aggressive of them all. We got quite scared. Eventually, we got away. We certainly learned a lesson that day um at these timeshare presentations not so common these days but uh, used to be horrible thing there you were you were just enjoying your walk by the beach and um within a couple of hours you were um experiencing the extremely hard sell well i think i can say um that i wouldn't fall for that uh, on the grounds that i'm really not particularly interested in a timeshare but i suppose the point is that uh, it, 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 it's 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 you don't think it's timeshare, do you, when you're... No, they, they say you've won a prize and you can claim it and um, come along to this uh, location to claim it. And then the uh, huge timeshare marketing operation uh, kicks in. Well, Chris James um, says, my wife and I experienced exactly the same thing. Eventually, the woman who was hard selling said we weren't committed to each other. Cheeky so and so. Eighteen years later, and we're still here together. Hope that woman is now old and very sad. <laughs> well, a couple more classics. Another Mark. Uh, Mark Wilson can't believe single fellows still fall for the let's have a drink scam. And of course, this is when you're a stranger in a strange land, anywhere from Hamburg to Havana, 
and somebody befriends you and before you know it you've been taken to some dodgy club where there's no prices on the menu where you've just bought a round of drinks for some uh interesting um uh people who uh, uh, who, who you've just met and uh well that'll be a thousand euros thank you and uh uh, what do you mean you haven't got the money? We're going to take you straight round to the nearest cash point. Ah, well, I did sort of fall for that once in Venice, but it's a it's a long story, so I won't bore you with that. But um, it it involved. Would you like to try this local liqueur? It's very nice, and uh, I was um, unable to resist that. Um, but uh, it then got quite messy. But um, uh, Tim <laughs> Coxon um, also um, reports on. I think it must be considered to be a classic which is um at the uh, port authority bus station in new york city um a uh, man came up to him and said i have a cab just round the corner let me carry your case for you needless to say i had to go shopping for new clothes straight away <laughs> well i hope it was only clothes that went missing and that that scam happens of course in locations all the way from manhattan to Peru, actually, very, very popular there. Uh, the Port Authority bus station in New York City is one of the most grim places ever. While I think bus stations can actually be very exciting, there's a superb one, for example, in uh, Istanbul and another, would you believe, in Preston, Lancashire. Uh, the one in New York is just grim and miserable, and they are hoping uh, that it's going to be absolutely transformed. Um, and actually, bus travel... Uh, the old Greyhound bus making a real comeback. Uh, a company called uh, Flixbus is expanding in the US as it as is a good old Megabus. So, uh, yes, it will improve. But in any circumstance, if someone says, I have a cab around the corner, let me carry your case, the answer is always no. Yes, good bit of advice. Now, um, here is somebody, Alan, who got in touch with us on tape, which is absolutely fantastic because we uh, love that at uh, anchor.fm slash you should have been there, all one word. And then this is what Alan had to say. Hi, Simon. Hi, Mick. It's Alan here. Just wanted to um, see if you were aware of a scam I think I've just seen, um, whereby I was looking to go to Turkey and just investigating whether or you needed a visa or not. And according to the UK government website, you don't need a visa. But if you Google it, there is plenty of people offering to get you a visa. Interesting. Just be interested to hear your thoughts on that. And uh, anywhere else that may be doing the same thing. Thank you very much. Thanks for a great show. Thanks, Alan. Compliments always appreciated here. Yes, the online scams just show how terrible it is to depend on the internet when you are traveling, because while there is a lot of useful information, there is also some complete rubbish. And there are many companies still profiting from the notion that you need a a visa for Turkey. When you go onto the official site, I tried it out. It doesn't say, hang on, but you're... But, uh, Alan, you're, you're uh, British. You don't need one, my good friend. They will let you pay the, uh, the $20. And, of course, the same thing applies to all kinds of other official documents. If you want the global health insurance card, the um, rather less useful than the old European health insurance card, the EHIC, then you can get it free um, online from the NHS. You can even get it by phone. But do not go to one of these companies which will just say, oh, we've got a service. Yeah, we'll get this for you. Uh, There's a £40 service fee. You do not need to. And very sadly, 
uh, the internet giants still allow them to be visible even though they are selling something which has exactly zero value. Well, here's another scam, which I, I think, again, depends very much on the internet for um, uh, its uh, perpetrators to uh, make a dishonest buck. It's Turkey again, I'm afraid, and um, this was brought to our attention by This Is Kalkan. One big problem here in uh, Kalkan, Turkey, is the villa rental pop-ups. We have several hundred in the resorts, all with the same listings of the same villas for rent. And although we believe the numbers are limited, um, that's presumably the, the number of actual bookings, it is essentially a scam to secure money for a deposit and then leave the guests high and dry. And I think you talked about that last week, Simon. I did. There's uh, an online guide which I have written all about how to avoid villa fraud but the basics is if it looks too good to be true so that uh, you're looking for next august first couple of weeks it's available it's good value um far cheaper than anything else well that's a pretty good sign also odd looking phrases on the website um do a do a kind of a, a a Google search of a, a, a phrase that you might trip up on and you could well find that it comes from somewhere completely, completely different. And indeed, you can even do a reverse photo search with Google and you might find that that um, lovely picture of the, um, of, of the Villa uh, Mick um, actually turns out uh, not to be the Villa Mick at all, but it's the um, genuinely legitimate Villa Simon, which um, is being sold by a perfectly uh, straightforward company but ultimately if somebody says to you please send us lots of money now um, by bank transfer so it is completely irretrievable to a bank account which doesn't appear to be either in turkey or indeed in in the uk or appears to be a private individual then there's a fair chance that something um, isn't going well um, and uh, while well, you'll pay a little bit more often to go through a villa company a recognized one if you are if you do that if you pay with a credit card then you are in a much stronger position just one quick thing on turkey also uh last thing on friday they announced that pcr tests would no longer be required from vaccinated british travelers so uh, a few weeks ago they came off the red list and now they're uh, letting us in without uh, too much fuss oh hello i've just got to pay the bill here Thank you very much. You want the uh, yes, that would yep, be very okay. nice. Thank you. Six euros fifty. Thank you very much. Can I pay with my card, or do you need some proper no, money? I think you can. Uh, okay. Pay with um, just, just as an interesting note here, I'm, I'm sitting outside on the pavement. It's lovely. If I go into the, um, I'm just talking to my friend on here. Would you like the receipt? Uh, yes. Go on. Yes, then. Thank you very like much. The uh, thank you very much. Um, this is so exciting. If I go from here into the gents, Mick, um, I have to show a QR test from a code from a test that I took earlier um, near to the central station. Is that working? Oh, yes, approved. I've got a nice and big I will, green I will tick. Get the oh, yes, that's okay. okay. Thank you so much. Um, so, yes, what you have to do if you're going into any restaurant, you've got to have a test that was conducted that day. And it's all thanks to Brexit. I think it's time for us to um, wrap up this podcast and allow you to go and um, test out your QR code. Uh, next week, Next week, uh, we're, um, uh, I suppose you could say, um, jumping on the bandwagon. And um, we're going to be talking about 
James Bond films and their locations. And in particular, the locations featured in No Time to Die, which I saw on uh, the first night of general relief at the IMAX in Waterloo, uh, the biggest screen in Britain, just so I can make a note of all the locations to share with you. But of course, we want to hear your favourite James Bond location. So um, rev up the Aston Martin and send us a tweet to at you should have BT. Or of course, we welcome your voice messages. Don't worry about actual tape. Uh, it all works a miracle if you just go to anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. But for now, from me, Simon Calder here in rainy Rotterdam. And me, Mick Webb, here in sunny Streatham. Goodbye. Goodbye.